0: Boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me on the phone today, a Harvard-trained economist, a former Google data scientist, a New York Times contributor, and most important for the purposes of our conversation, the author of the new book, Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. Nice to meet you. Thanks for making some time, Seth stevens Uh Thanks
1: so much for having me.
0: So uh, this book is is right up my alley, and it, it's a book that I didn't realize was the book I was waiting for until it presented itself. Oh, huh. thanks. Because it, it gets at the core of, um, I, I think we as a nation are, are actually trying, like struggling to understand ourselves.
1: Yeah, so the basic, the basic idea of the book is that you can't really trust necessarily what people tell you because uh, they like to make themselves look good. Uh, but there are certain sources uh, where they tend to be very honest, things like Google searches, uh, which serves as a kind of digital truth serum, and people confess things to Google that they might not tell to anybody else. And we can really use this data to learn uh, who we really are.
0: Um, I have a couple of big picture questions about the nature of data and data collection and the use of data. And I'm assuming based on your research for this book, but also based on your other career experiences, you might have some insight. In the broadest sense, what do you think people still don't get about what data is being collected on them and why?
1: uh well i think i think that this is i actually didn't didn't totally get it to be honest when i started this book i was really just excited about all the things you can learn about people right i have training in social sciences so I, i'm just really interested in psychology and sociology and economics and like oh my god there's so much you can learn about people from uh these data patterns and everyone's like Seth talk about ethics talk about ethics and i kind of just ignored them because i'm like why like you're getting in the way of my uh of my exploration of human nature. But uh, the more I worked on the book, the more I realized that the ethical issues are bigger than I probably realized. Uh, I think the big concern here is that, uh, one way I like to think about it, everything that you do correlates with something else you might do. So it has some predictive power in something else you might do. Uh, so one example I talk about is you can predict whether people will pay back a loan based on the words they use in the loan application. And if they use the word God, they're 2.2 times less likely to pay back, 2.2 times more likely to default. And this means it will be smart for a bank or a lender to deny loans to people who use the word God, to deny loans to people who say, God bless you, uh, just because uh, this happens to correlate for whatever reason uh, with defaulting on a loan. So I think the scary thing about data is that uh, companies potentially could uh, mine all the information they have on us and find subtle uh, patterns in it to make predictions and then not give us what we need or fleece us for more money uh, that, that, than we'd like to pay. Uh, so that it it, it, some, it can give more power to co- companies relative to consumers.
0: Well, to to uh, to companies or to, um, to to government as well. I, I, I get it, like how can you? It's easy to foresee ways in which having access to this data, in which people are revealing more of themselves than than they are maybe even know about themselves, could be used for the purposes of straight up evil.
1: It could be. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little less concerned about the government in the United States. Maybe I should be more concerned. I kind of feel like our institutions are proving stronger than I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, so I think I, th- I think there, you know, there would be outrage if uh, the government used this data to, uh, you know, to to do something nefarious. So I'm I'm not, mm-hmm. may, may I, right, rightly or wrongly, I'm not as concerned with the government as I am about uh, about uh, the corporations. But yeah, there are, uh, you know, one of the the, the more, most famous. Uh, examples of this is minority report where people are uh predictive models say that someone's going to commit a crime and they can be arrested before they do that so you could imagine if the models got really good then uh people would maybe uh you know, you know use that to uh arrest somebody before he or she does anything bad which is uh, would be a big change in how the american legal system works
0: well right and you know i'm not necessarily talking about deep state stuff and all of that but if um, okay, for example, in the book you talk about how when the San Bernardino shootings happened, people were searching for stuff about about Islam, and you could really read a lot. People might tell a pollster one thing or another thing about it, but you could tell what they were really thinking about, what they were really concerned about, what their gut was really telling them to what what leads to pursue from from the gut perspective, and um, if you had. If you were privy to that situation, it might suggest ways that you could manipulate people.
1: Yeah. So they're, they're yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, yeah. I, the government's always doing that, right? They're always doing studies, to right? Try this to this might just be
0: a, a unique effective. right? But this might be a uniquely amazing tool for figuring out how to appeal to people's worst instincts.
1: I, I think it's right. So the example I talk on the book is how to calm down, basically. An angry mob that want to kill Muslims. So that would be a good thing if we could learn how to how to uh, actually effectively calm an angry mob. But yeah, there could be a more evil government who could use it for uh, worse purposes. Yeah, I you know I, I, I do agree. Like this stuff is powerful, uh, more powerful than I realized before I started, and uh, it does raise a lot of questions. Uh, you know, as fascinating and and amazing as it is, of just all the things you can learn and can do. Uh, it is scary, all the things you can learn and can do.
0: Right. At the same time, how, how did you get access to these numbers? Are these freely available numbers that you're using? Or, yeah, or, just about yeah.
1: all of them are publicly available. Uh, it's, it's Google Trends and then Google AdWords I rely a lot frequently on as well.
0: Okay. I know you did some work with Google. I have one thing that's really not related to your book at all, but I'm I'm really interested in it personally. Are you aware of this? Is it my imagination that uh, 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 sometimes Google ads advertise things to us that we had not actually searched for on the Internet, which implies that they're collecting information about us other ways?
1: Uh, I don't know anything internally about that. I think that has happened to me as well, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. It's what not, what it's is that? Definitely not anything I worked. Not at Google.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that you're not personally responsible for that. Okay. So, so <laughs> <laughs> back to the book. Everybody lies. Um, yeah. So, I guess it, it. It seems to me that the fundamental precept of the book is that for for like all of human history up until pretty much now. In order to know what people were thinking or feeling or doing, you could ask them. The problem is people can lie, and furthermore, they might even be lying to themselves.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And then you have this revolution where uh, in the last few years we have data from Internet searches, and we have data from pornographic sites, and we have data from clicks around the Internet uh, that basically gives us a new way to measure uh, what people are thinking and what people want and what people desire. So, kind of an unprecedented uh, look at the human psyche.
0: So, here's a statement from the the press release on the book that I'd like to uh, expand upon a bit. Um, how people it talks about how people really feel, what they really want, and the secrets we harbor even from ourselves. What is your single biggest takeaway in the in the broadest sense about people from this?
1: Well, I I, I sum it up as we're all a mess uh, because I think uh, if you if you look at if you look at you know what people say to to each other or on social media, they tend to be uh, you you kind of get it's a very uh, curated uh, view of people, and then when you see what people are searching, you know, at two AM or three AM, the anxiety and the insecurity and the horniness, and uh, it's 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 a it's a kind of a a messier view window into the human psyche than we usually see. Uh, It actually made me. It kind of it, you would you would think that it would be really really depressing to spend five years uh, studying human beings' weirdest and darkest thoughts, uh, but I actually found it kind of comforting because uh, you know I think you feel I think you know I beat myself up a lot that I find life difficult or uh, you know about my insecurities or my anxieties or uh, my wicked thoughts or, or my narcissism or any of these factors, and I think when you kind of study the real data on people, uh, you figure everyone's kind of kind of the same.
0: Right, um, I, I thought it was uh, amazing. You, uh, if if I have the number correctly, you say in the book that uh, there is there is a single most popular porn video.
1: Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yes. Uh, the, the, are you the, allowed the, to say that? Uh, sure, we, 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 to?
0: we can we can use we can use whatever language we want. Yeah, the the uh,
1: the. Okay. Um, I was just on I was just on CBS this morning, so I'm I'm like very uptight because that's not okay. My show. So you I'm weren't
0: able shy. to talk to them about great body, great sex, great blowjob.
1: No, they said no. You can't use the word blowjob on CBS this morning.
0: <laughs> the biggest, the biggest hit in the history of pornography: great body, great yeah. sex, great blow job. And that you, you said, if I have the number right, that one um, thirtieth as many people have seen that video as have streamed "Gangnam Style" on YouTube, which is like the biggest music hit of all time.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I also just I, I use that as an example of how little uh, we pick up in in social media because. Uh, On social media, Gangnam Style is also uh, shared tens of millions of times. Uh, But, of course, uh, Great Body, Great Sex, Great Blowjob is never shared on uh, Twitter or Facebook, right? Yeah. So it is kind of of interesting just the parts of the human psyche that are missing entirely from social media.
0: Uh, Contrary to the accepted narrative that I think we all pretty much accept, except nowadays that um, liberals and conservatives in America are living in two separate bubbles or echo chambers or whatever you want to call them. Um, You found that that's not really the case and that a surprising number of people are getting their news from the other side of the political aisle.
1: That's true. It is true. We, We live in a bubble online. So your friends on Facebook are much more likely to share your politics than to have opposing political views. And the news sites you go to are much more likely to be visited by people who share your political views than people who don't share your political views. But, the, uh, the, the, but, but, but what I think people miss is that th- that's also true offline. Uh, the, our work colleagues are much more likely to share our political views than not, and our family members, our friends, all much more likely than not to share our political views. And if you actually do the math, uh, you're more likely to come across opposing political views uh, online than offline, so uh, it 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 is uh, segregated. It is a bubble, uh, but it's actually less of a bubble than uh, our offline worlds.
0: And I think the number that you used in the book was forty five, forty six percent of somewhere in the forties of people who identify with one side of the political spectrum have at least occasionally used uh, news sources from the other side. That's not that's not that bad. That's way way better than what I assume and what what I frankly I experience.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it obviously could depend on the person. I think what, so one of the things with social media, for example, is, uh, are, it, it puts us in contact with people that we're uh, not that close with, right? Facebook, we're friends with, uh, you know, people with, from high school that we don't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily uh, hang out with, but we, we're Facebook friends with them. And these kind of weak ties are much more likely to have opposing political views. Uh, so, so when we hang out, uh, uh offline, uh, we tend to limit, our our interactions to a small group of very, very close friends who share our political views, but online we sometimes get uh, you know, the 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 crazy high school friend who has uh, you know, totally wacky views from our perspective.
0: Right, exactly. And of course they feel the same way about us. Yeah, yeah. Um I thought it was interesting that uh of course people are um concerned about their appearance. Probably in many cases deeply paranoid about their appearance, and uh, many people search about you know weight loss or or cosmetic surgery, and the number of men who are doing that is quite a bit larger than I would have guessed. I would have guessed about twenty percent, you know, to eighty percent for for who's going to be searching weight loss would be men to women, but it's 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 nearer to half.
1: Uh yeah, it's it's less it's less than half but not much less than yeah. half. Yeah. And you see it come up like one of I, I talk about when you look at uh searches related to how to change one's breath. Like that's a classic example. We think of who wants to change their breasts, women want to make their breasts bigger or firmer. Uh but about twenty percent of these searches are men looking how to get rid of man boobs, uh, which is an insecurity that, you know, isn't talked about as as frequently. It's kind of uh I think uh, men probably are pretty embarrassed about that, but uh it, it it's it, it's another it's something that's revealed on the internet,
0: yeah that's true because um you you'll some some women will get breast augmentation and will deny it, but I feel like more and more people just own it. they wanted to do it and they did it, and they like the way it looks, and who cares what you think You're not gonna find a lot of guys who go around telling you about how they elected to have their man boobs removed,
1: yeah, or just that they're you know a woman might joke about how their their boobs are small and they wish they were bigger, but men maybe are less likely to joke about. How you know they have man boobs, or how insecure that makes them? But it, it definitely does, and it definitely bodily insecurity is not limited to women by by any by any stretch of imagination.
0: Um, and uh, speaking of uh, various sizes of various body parts, I, I thought this was incredible. Uh, I actually already brought this statistic up, and today on my other radio show, the the Jason Ellis Show here on SiriusXM. we were talking to the um, the plus size model Ashley Graham. The the fact that you, you pointed out that I think 2014 was the tipping point when searches for how can I make my butt bigger passed searches for how can I make my butt smaller. Yeah. That is uh, a critical just, sea change in our exciting. culture.
1: Yeah, it's kind of fun to see the rant, like kind of the arbitrary nation of, of notion of what's attractive and right? how things can go in and out of, of favor. So I think most women, you know, 20 years ago, the idea that, uh, you know, when you thought of butts, it was always my butt's too big. How do I make it smaller? How do I make it smaller? And now it's uh, it changed in society. how do I make it bigger? And yeah yeah it, it's, it's reached its uh, tipping point, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, yeah I think, I think we are uh, we are past the tipping point at this point. Yeah. Um, speaking of, yeah. of men versus women, um, you find that parents reveal different attitudes between um, male children and female children.
1: Yeah, so if you look at the searches uh, people make for is my son versus is my daughter? When they search, is my son, they're more likely to use words related to their intelligence. Is my son a genius? Is my son gifted? When they make searches about daughters, they're more likely to use words around appearance. Is my daughter overweight? Or is my daughter ugly? People make weird searches. It's not clear why you would ask Google, is my daughter ugly?
0: Isn't that crazy? Yeah.
1: Uh, That's, I think, one of the most surprising things in this data is the bizarre searches people make uh, with, with no obvious reason that Google would have the answer it seems to be a reasonably widespread uh, phenomenon to just type random thoughts into Google or questions that Google can't possibly answer
0: yeah uh, right yeah. right well also on my other radio show we've over from time to time done a, a, a game on the air where we just guess Google autocomplete results because it is yeah. it's it is so insane people are so incredibly inscrutable and it, it often seems to me the best I'm able to come up with is that people are um, are, are venting to Google.
1: Yeah, that's I think that I think it, you you kind of think of uh you know in 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 the Catholic tradition the confessional, right? You just there's something about talking to somebody even if for even if it's never uh you know something about just saying things that are bothering you. Uh you know it has historically I think been of appeal to uh people and instead of the confessional it it's now uh, I think Google.
0: Right, even though Google cannot help you with your ugly daughter. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah but back to that one that's kind of uh you know i think uh we like to think that uh, parents probably uh maybe are lying to themselves then because they would like to think that they treat their uh kids equally or they might not even have kids of both gender they may just have uh multiple sons or multiple daughters and they assume that if the genders were reversed uh they would treat them uh equivalently but i think uh the the aggregate anonymous data says uh, that, that that that's not true that there's kind of a widespread uh bias
0: right no, and it, this kind of leads me to maybe we've already covered this, but what is the biggest um the biggest lie that you think America is telling itself about itself that it's its google um search results uh lays bare
1: ah uh, let's the biggest one uh. I think anxiety is a big one. The amount of anxiety uh, and
0: insecurity
1: uh, on- online, you know, I, I, it, some people talk about that. But I think there are only certain groups that feel comfortable talking about anxiety. Yeah. Uh, so I think, for example, uh, because uh, there are certain pre- there are certain groups that are more comfortable talking about anxiety, we think that anxiety. Uh, uh, many people think that anxiety is kind of an urban intellectual phenomenon. It's kind of the Woody Allen or Larry David uh, phenomenon, right? Uh, right. Kind of over intellectual neurotics. Uh, In cities, but uh, I I think in in Google, you see very clearly that anxiety is actually higher in rural areas, in places with lower levels of education, uh, where there's a lot of uh, drug use, which can create panic attacks. Uh, So, really a a much different view of of society than we uh, traditionally get.
0: I'm talking to Seth Stevens Davidowitz, the author of the new book, Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. There was some stuff about, um, about sex in the book that I found really interesting, particularly about, um, I don't know how you would say this, about the, how different genders uh, view their skills and their willingness or desire to improve those skills.
1: That 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 was one of my favorite parts of the book. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a yeah, feeling really. there was a slightly
0: creepier book that you could have written.
1: Uh, that's 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 pro- that's probably true. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, so if you uh, if you look at you can kind of we uh, we don't necessarily know for sure the gender of someone making a Google search, but you can kind of since about ninety five percent of people are heterosexual, you assume that most people making a search for uh, how to give an amazing blowjob uh, that's mostly women and how to give. Uh, you know, g- great cunnilingus, or how to lick a, uh, 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 you know, a P word, uh, yeah. is is, uh, is is men, and uh, when you do this, you see that it's about two to one in favor of, uh, and this one did not surprise me, but I just found it amusing, mm-hmm. that it's two to one in favor of women looking for ways to uh, improve their, their oral sex skills to get better at pleasing men uh, relative to men, uh, getting better at their skills to please women, and then mm-hmm. I think uh, my favorite fact in Google search data is that that uh, when men are looking for how to get how to get better at uh, oral sex or how to, uh, they're frequently looking at how to do it on themselves. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so I think about about as many searches asking how to give themselves oral sex as how to uh, give an orgasm to a woman.
0: That's crazy. One more thing that Google cannot possibly help you with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also
1: yeah. There, there's a lot of delusion I think uh, is, uh, online. So yeah. So I think. That, you kind of get a sense of men as both selfish and delusional from that from mm-hmm. that comparison, right?
0: So you said that you take comfort in um, knowing that we are uh, all very much the same and united by you know anxieties and insecurities and stuff like that. But would you say in general you have a better or worse view of America or humankind based on finding out all this hidden data about them?
1: Uh, I I can't lie. It, I, I it worse. <laughs> <Right. laughs> like okay. Look, if people lie to make themselves look good, they're generally going to, uh, you know, they're generally going to give up themselves. We're generally going to have a falsely positive impression of who people are. So we're going to get much less racism than there actually is. Uh, so, and, you know, much less anger or, you know, murderous thoughts. I talk about all of that. Uh, child regret. I talk about all these factors, uh, these things in my book that people rarely, rarely admit uh but but do uh happen with uh, some frequency so uh you know i do think there is a, a darkness uh that is usually hidden from from society uh but i but i also think that you know i think it's better that we know this uh if if we you know we we can potentially use this information to uh improve society kind of learning about the world's problems uh and difficulties is the first step towards improving them so i hope that this can help uh help lead that
0: so um yeah speaking of some of the darker elements of uh of of humankind and of America as I mentioned earlier um y- you you believe that your light shed, your work shed some light on just how racist America is. Yeah. Okay what yeah, what you come was, up with.
1: Uh, yeah, that's not maybe not surprising now but when I started the research in 2012 and everyone thought we lived in a post-racial society mm-hmm. I was just like kind of blown away by the frequency with which people made uh, racist searches on Google, particularly uh, looking for jokes, mocking and humiliating African Americans,
0: particularly on Martin Luther King Day.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Amazing. I mean, there, there are all these disturbing facts in the data. Uh, I don't want to depress your listeners too much, but uh, there is kind of this contrast between you know you see you have these these, these images of uh, that you see on TV where everyone's kind of uh, you know saying all the right things and saying how uh, and, and saying all the politically correct things, but at the same time. Uh, on their computers are uh, doing much nastier uh, things so yeah
0: and i always feel like particularly when it comes to um you know uh how how do i how do i murder my neighbor (laughs) or something there's got to be a substantial portion of people who would love to know the answer to that question who just don't feel safe googling it so the the number that you come up with is probably very low of the people who are fantasizing and maybe even actively plotting to murder people in their lives
1: yeah, I think that's true. It's it, it, it's it's somewhat hard at this point. I think we're early in this data in this uh, data analysis stage to try to figure out exactly how to make sense of the absolute Google search data because it's not like it may seem like you type every thought you have into Google, but that's not true. Uh, I can guarantee you, you do not type every thought you have into Google. Uh, you type thoughts when you happen to be around a computer, or you think to type on Google, or lots of other or you know whatever reason, or you're not distracted by something else at the time. So. Uh, yeah. So we're, I think we're, just as a survey is only a small percentage uh, of, of people, but we extrapolate to a larger number. I think we have to learn how to extrapolate the Google search numbers to uh, get a more uh, a, a national number.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's kind of the last subject that I wanted to go over with you. Is uh, is wh- wh- where do you go from here? Where where will you take your work, and what is the What are the next frontiers for this kind of work?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm. I don't know. I kind of want to take a long nap because I've been <laughs> I've been working pretty hard on, on the on this book, but uh, I do uh, I I just think there's I, I, I think like we're just you know at the tip of the iceberg in this. There's just so much more uh, to learn. So I just kind of want to keep exploring it. I, anxiety is one area I keep on wanting wanting to research and coming back to because uh, you know I I have I, 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 done a lot of research already on what on what causes it. Uh, which a lot of the things have totally surprised me, don't seem to be the things we traditionally think of as causing anxiety. Like what? But I think – what? Like what? Also, for example, uh, when Donald Trump was uh, being elected, all my friends and everybody said that they were really anxious about Trump, like before the election, after he got elected. Uh, And when you look at Google searches in really liberal communities, there was like not a rise. In anxiety searches or panic attacks in these areas, you know, as Trump uh, gained momentum and eventually won the election, uh, and I think there might be I, I, my my uh, suspicion is that people tend to be much more anxious about their own situation, their own selves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're much more anxious about you know things that directly affect them, their economic condition, uh, their potential health problems, things going on with their family. And much less anxious about world events, but it's kind of very nice to tell your friends that uh, you're anxious about world events. I'm anxious about global warming, or I'm anxious about Donald Trump. Uh, you know, your friend, your friends will say, "Oh, you're such a great person." I understand. Whereas, if you say, "I'm anxious about, you know, how many books I'm going to sell," or uh, you know, "I'm anxious that a girl hasn't called me back uh, for a few days," uh, you know, I think y- y- your friends maybe are less. Uh, apt to uh, be sympathetic in that situation.
0: Right. Well, the proof is just in the pudding and in people's actions. And um, there are people who uh, want to make more money, who are applying for jobs and, you know, trying to get put themselves in a position to make more money. And there are people who are pursuing all kinds of things. For as many people as I know who are, you know, outraged and pulling their hair out about Donald Trump, I don't see a whole lot of them who are actually, like, taking to the streets and investing any real time or capital. So, yeah. it,
1: well, you, you you go to the streets and you you have your signs and you put it on Facebook, but you still go yeah. through your everyday life, right?
0: Yeah. I don't know how many people who uh, put it this way, who have, uh, like, say, take, take climate change is, uh, you know, everybody, every, most people think, you know, climate change is awful and it could be the end of the world and it's bad for ourselves and our kids and it's just not right and uh, it's man-made and all that. But almost nobody is willing to give up one concrete, you know, there are people who won't fly on planes, just period, because it is so bad for the environment. Like, it's it's very, yeah. very easy to express concern for the environment, see relatively few people like there are people who do deny themselves food even though they want to eat the food because it is actually important to them to remain thin yeah you know yeah
1: yeah that's a good, that's a good, that's a good way to look at it yeah i think yeah there are more people who are on diets uh, of, of food to be thin than are on uh, diets of energy consumption to uh, protect to uh, prevent climate change
0: yeah so you you do you deserve a book i've worked on a couple of books and i i really get it that the proofreading to me was the part that always just, uh, just, just kills you at the end. It becomes more and more mind-numbing the closer you get to the finish, and then you got to do stupid interviews like this, which is even worse. Not, so, on. I, I'm
1: actually getting, I'm actually getting it. I, I'm actually enjoying enjoying it, uh, especially the language that am to finally. Uh, oh yeah, use,
0: so. let it fly, let it fly, Seth. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. So, so you're gonna you're gonna take a break from thinking about this stuff for a while, but I, I gather this is not the end of you in this. In this subject, you're not going to go write a book about something completely different after this. Like, could you? No, you, no,
1: no, no. I, 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 feel like this is a goldmine of, uh, of, of, of research, and I think, uh, you know, I, I want to encourage other people. I, I end the book with encouraging other people, you know, uh, to get into this area because uh, of kind of data science and big data and internet data, because I think the, you know, the potential for uh, revolutionary insights. You know, I, that's my that, that those are kind of terms that are thrown around a lot, but I really think it's just so true here, and you know, you know the. Uh, all the things we're already finding about people—they're uh, just kind of, you know, to change totally how I view the world. It's pretty amazing.
0: Oh, uh, really dumb question. So I've only had the book for a couple of days. I flipped through it. I wasn't able to read it cover to cover. Why is there a picture of Barack Obama doing a State of the Union address in the, in the very last page?
1: Oh, that was uh, that was uh, they were they couldn't. Uh, it's a color photo, and they couldn't have uh, black and white photos in the middle of the book. Mm-hmm. But uh, the basic point is that. Uh, when uh, it, it's, it's the questions that people had during Barack Obama's speech, and it's kind of another area where people like to tell other people that they have really profound questions about policy. But if you look at the top Googled searches during that speech, it's like, how old is Obama? Who's sitting behind Obama? <laughs> right. It was Joe Biden at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, right, what, yeah. color, what color is Boehner's? Uh, uh, John, why is John Boehner's? Uh, skin orange, uh, like all these like random superficial questions, that's and it kind of right. shows. Right. Uh, but they but but they couldn't put the color picture uh, with the text.
0: So okay, I wasn't sure. I, I I assumed and hoped it was something like that, and not just a. Uh, it's my parting statement to the, the world: just Barack Obama, just saying. take out a picture of this man <laughs> in action. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, so okay, great. Well, I'm 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 gonna let you go, and I thank you for your time. And somebody's gonna. So some, uh, what are you gonna do when somebody when some evil corporation wants to use you for um, evil? purposes purposes that they'll pay you a lot of money for because that is something that somebody's going to think of doing if they haven't already done it
1: well i'm going to tell you that i would never consider that but everybody lies right
0: that's right exactly and uh yeah right (laughs) i guess that says it all all right well thanks and congratulations on the book and the best of luck with it thanks so much mike it's uh seth stevens davidowitz the author of everybody lies big data new data and what the internet can tell us about who we really are You are listening to The Tully Show. More to come with Afghan Wigs frontman Greg Dooley after this on Faction Talk. Welcome back to The Tully Show here on Faction Talk. As promised, up next, a conversation with Greg Dooley, one of the most talented, charismatic frontmen in rock and roll from a band you might not be familiar with called Afghan Wigs. Afghan Wigs out of Chicago have a new album called In Spades that just came out. But right now I want to play you a couple of cuts, uh, snippets of music off of the album that turned me on to Afghan Wigs back in the 90s. This album just celebrated its 20th anniversary. The album is great top to bottom. It's called Black Love. Here's some stuff off of that. clips from the Black Love album from Afghan Wigs. Just so you understand the caliber of individual that we're about to talk to here. I am joined here in studio by Greg Dooley of the band Afghan Wigs. It's really a pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I have been enjoying your band for, for some time. Thank you. I feel like I need to do a little bit of background on your band. I guess I wanted to talk through some adjectives that uh, impressions that i have about your band to get your impression of those impressions okay okay w- w- something that i love like above all in rock music is um i guess transcendence is, is the word that i would use i like a band that tries to hit the home run mm-hmm. and afghan wigs hit home run after home run sure do you, are you aware of that? Is that something? absolutely
2: you, Okay. You know, love to hit the home run. <laughs> and where, where would you say <laughs> that comes from? Um, it comes from, uh, uh, um, probably my imagination and my, and my, my taste for the epic, you mm-hmm. know, like I, when, when I was a kid growing up in Hamilton, Ohio, uh, you know. Getting big kicks took you to get them. Not, yes, you know what I mean. So like, I had to interact with them. I uh, um, I grew up uh, uh, with a Catholic mother who, uh, um, you know, was big on the Roman Catholic experience. And, yes, so and, did I did And the, you know, the Mass. I was an altar boy. So was I. Um, that. That really formed me and not in a religious way, right? But it a, explains all the organs on your yeah, albums, yeah. Organs, uh, the presentation, the yeah. pomp. I really loved that the look, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, I've often said, like, if I had to go to church, you know, I at least had to be on stage while I was there,
0: so isn't it? And you made at least one music video that kind of
2: yes, exactly, yeah, right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it amazing how terrible the music is
2: in the Roman Catholic tradition? Well, it's really dour. You yeah. know, it's it's really like there's no, the uplift is few and far between, and that's why like when I went to uh, um, uh, other denominations and especially like you know Baptist churches, and sure, where like people, you know, there was a joyousness and a a, a, a throwdown, you know whether I agreed on any kind of theological level, it didn't matter. People were having a good time Mm -hmm. and they were singing and they were singing with joy and, and, and that's, you know, largely lacking from, but there was, there's also something about, um, you know, when they really turn that organ on and it, and it fills you up. I mean, it's, it's attention getting. So uh, um, I did, I did like the, the grandness, the grandiosity of of, right. of of the of the church.
0: Just how big can that pipe and the pipe organ be? Absolutely, and and the answer is very big. Very tall. It's very yeah. very tall. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I personally gravitate to in rock and roll um, that I think you have in spades in every project you've been affiliated with is I would use the word class. There's a you're a, it's a classy rock and roll operation that you are running and. That is not always the case, and in a lot of ways that flew in the face of many of the most popular bands uh, from the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, do, do you agree with that?
2: Well, like at a certain point, I remember um, I I would go watch bands and I'm like, man, you I, I don't really necessarily want you to look like me. I want you to look like you thought about this and yeah. that it's kind of a big deal and right and that we're coming it's an it's an evening out let's sort of act let's make it special so um <clears throat> you know and a a lot of my a lot of my heroes did just that you know what i mean there were you know i mean there, uh, there were plenty of like blue jean and t-shirt bands that i've liked but i i, I really loved what david Bowie did i really loved what uh, Prince did, you know, for for, for two examples of, of of how to present yourself on stage, um, that that look wasn't lost on me, and uh, um, and another you know, Nick Cave, for instance, does it very, sure. very very well as as well. So when I go see a show, I want to see. Jack White also is very, very, very good at, at, at presenting himself that way. So the, the, those are just some examples of, you know, people that I like and, and, and that I uh, feel a connection with.
0: Right. A, a, a word that comes to mind for you as a performer is uh, it, to me is flamboyant which is such a loaded word in our culture nowadays because it's usually now code for gay. Right. And there's nothing, not that there would be anything wrong with it if there was, but sure. there's nothing gay about the way you perform. You're right. a thoroughly heterosexual man wearing very feathery jackets. Right. And that was a part of rock and roll. Mick Jagger would be a classic example of sure. that. Um, and you, how, how conscious were you... Was there ever a point in your in your life when you were a younger person where you had to
2: come out of your shell to do that? The first time I played in a band, I was really kind of i was I, I was nervous because there's a there is a vulnerability when you perform in front of people that there's no hiding and and the first time I performed in front of anyone were my schoolmates at a battle of the bands when I was 14. Those are your peers. And, uh, you know, I mean, and you're going to see them on Monday, you know what I mean? And, and, but I realized if I didn't do it, that I'd be suppressing something that was inside me, a and B. I had plans to, you know, Get out of that town as fast as I could. Anyway, that was a conscious thought when yeah, you were going in. Yeah, I, absolutely. Like I, I felt, I felt penned in early on. So uh, I, I was, I was making escape plans in the single digits. Right. So
0: okay. So committing hard was the only option. Absolutely. I see.
2: So you have uh,
0: a, a new album, a great new album. I, they sent it to me yesterday called um, In Spades, and congratulations on Thank on you. that. How hard is it to not um, repeat yourself? Um, well. And how important is it to... It seems fairly important, but there are certainly bands that have made very good careers writing the same album over and over again. Sure.
2: But even then, even like... I mean, a, a perfect example of that would be like maybe ACDC. And they have what you could probably call a formula, but like whenever... Whenever they would step out of that formula, that's when they were, that's when they got interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I I feel like I'm on a constant evolutionary process with recording. I this is my fifteenth record that I've made with my various groups and guises, and uh, um, I can't really. Connect one to the other. They all sort of are different to me. They're different periods of your life. I think that's. I think what happens for me in 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 not repeating myself is, it's a year later. It's two years later. I'm a different person than I was that than the person who made that previous record, and a lot of times it will be a reaction to that other record. You know, in this case, I just. <clears throat> I had uh, some material that was coming really quickly to me and I had a great band to play it with so uh, uh, it was it was in terms of of ease this one this one went down pretty easy How do you typically write i I have a riff uh, it starts I, with a guitar starts, or guitar piano okay. uh, beats sometimes i'll I'll come up with a beat that I like and I'll play along with the beat. Yeah, there's a couple um,
0: songs in the new album that I could see that could very well that be that, that,
2: that happened that way. Uh, but uh, then I've arranged it, get a change. Then I start to uh, uh, scat over top of it. Mm-hmm. Then that becomes a melody, and then the melody becomes vowel sounds, and then the vowel sounds become words, and yeah. voila. Right. I guess that's,
0: uh, yeah, right, right, right. I guess that's about the way it works for just, I mean, there's certain people who I think are kind of, every now and again, you must have, you get a song whole or at least, or at I, least you get, you get a, a hook hole top to bottom and that just
2: feels like divine intervention. The song Birdland, uh, the first song on the record, uh, wrote that song in 10 minutes Yeah, and it just happened and I, I never wrote the lyrics down. It's a stream of consciousness. Uh, I, I, I i sang it in two takes
0: it takes a certain amount of bravery i guess when you've made as many albums as you have it probably gets a little bit easier but would it ever feel like this can't quite be done if it only took 10 minutes or do you take that as a good
2: thing no i mean you you, it's like anything in life like sometimes it's 10 minutes sometimes it's 10 months right and uh um if you still love it 10 months later it's telling you that it's, that it's worth it. So I, 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 I don't, you know, if it, if, if you just took things that came easy, you'd probably have a sad life. Right. Um, uh, I, I I like to, I like the struggle sometimes, you know, I I, I like to wrestle with something and, and sometimes, sometimes it beats you. Sometimes it's, it's just not good enough or you're not, Prepared enough to, mm-hmm. to complete it. But do you have? You know, I mean, do you have great half-finished songs? Absolutely, are... man. And as you know, you got to know when to ditch it on the side of the road. Yeah. But a lot of times, I'll drive back and take some of the parts off the car. Right. You, know right. I mean? you could use so, it for scrap. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think some of the best. Uh, I suspect very strongly that some of the best um, bridges and outros that you've ever heard were initially oh, supposed sh- to be sure a whole song. Well,
2: you think about like. Uh, um, uh physical graffiti for instance mm-hmm. it's 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 the it's eight brand new songs and then it's several outtakes from three different albums and uh um if that album stayed alone as those eight new songs it would be fantastic but those other bits and bobs that they put on there are badass yeah. and, and 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 really cool the stones did it a lot when you record a lot you a mass material and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But if there's like, wow, I like that little thing and it could work on this new thing that I have. It's fantastic.
0: Why do you think nobody can, or even for the most part, attempts to make as much music as, the Stones and and the Beatles. Did Ryan Adams? That was sort of his calling card for a little while there. But he's he's one of the few that really comes to mind. Were there just more ideas? Were there more songs in in the ether to be pulled down in the '60s that there are now? I, I don't
2: know. Now? I I don't I don't know that. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you an example of where I thought where it where it didn't work for me. Prince, who's one of my favorites ever, had a run from his second record all the way up to side of the times. That was like nobody else's. Um, When he started putting out a record, like every six months or a triple record, that's really too much for me to digest, even from a master like, like he was. Um, I don't need to hear every single thing somebody does, you know? And if, if you, if you do have the fruitful period, I look at it this way. Everybody's, I think everybody's got one double album in, in them. Mm-hmm. More than one. Eh, probably not. Probably not. You know, yeah. that that that's probably not going to happen. So I'd rather hear your 10 to 14 best songs mm-hmm. every two years than hear every idea that you have. It's just too much. Like, and there's so much music out there now. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want to dilute the great things that I have with like, just, something that I wrote yesterday that you got to hear, you know what I right. mean? Right.
0: So. Is is it challenging? So you start for the most part with a, with a, a riff from the guitar or the piano. It's very challenging to not fall into ruts with your playing. And if you're, if you're playing the same stuff, then you're not going to be generating fresh riffs. Do you have techniques for that? Or, or do you just naturally come up with new stuff? Cause at a certain point it becomes almost muscle memory. Your hands just kind of want to do the same stuff. again. I
2: have, uh, what I do I mean i I don't I don't, rec- don't self record and when I and when I do do it I do it on my phone it's the same as I used to do on a cassette player yeah. uh, um, I put down a riff um, if I ever double track it I use my laptop to, to record what's on my phone and then do one more take but past that I, but um I don't really go past that but my if i if i scroll through my phone on the memos if i name something it's it that means i should go back and listen to it if it's just memo number 207 then probably not but if i take the time to name it it means that i liked it and i'll go back through and a bunch of the songs that are on this new record came from named things in my phone
0: I was always impressed. I read an interview years and years ago with Jeff Beck that he would not record ideas. The idea behind that being, if it's a good enough idea, I won't forget it. That's, that's mm. the way that I test it. And I'm how many songs did mm. Jeff Beck lose because of that? Because we've all had that experience. So you find a cassette and go, Oh shit. Yeah. I, that, that, that fucking thing. That's a great bit right there. Yeah.
2: I mean, look, look at, look no further than Keith Richards yeah. in Satisfaction, you mm-hmm. know, like Had the riff, was going to bed, thought he'd remember it tomorrow, thought better of it, and laid it down, you know, that Apocalypse Now ski, uh, water skiing scene. Not as cool without that riff. Right, exactly.
0: I I, I have to let you go in a minute, so I just want to ask you about the, you're going out on a huge tour. Mm -hmm. That's cool. You still look forward to touring the world?
2: I I love to play. I love to, you know, I love to play live. Mm -hmm. I love to hang out with my friends. It's it's always fun to go to other cities and share a good time with a room full of people. You know, it's it's that if that ever gets old, I I, I wouldn't do it. But it's still, you know, I I still feel like a teenager when I when I play a concert. And with the new album, do you what
0: was your stated goal? You said earlier about maybe sometimes it's as simple as if I zigged last time, I'm going to zag. This time, um, did you I, have an M.O.?
2: I didn't. My, my M.O. every single time is to make the best possible record that I can make at that moment. This is a moment in my life. It's a snapshot of my life. I can, you know, five years from now, I'll be talking about something else, and this will be in the past. But uh, uh, I can be assured that every time I... I I went for it, you know, I tried to hit the home run.
0: Well, yeah, I think you pulled it off. It's a really good, it's a really good record and it's got a, a nice variety of sounds and I don't need to tell you it's on the record. It's good, yeah, it's good. You. And I hope everybody listening to this is going to check it out. Um, the name of the album is In Spades. By the time people hear this, it will have been released. You are at Mr. Greg Dooley on Twitter and people can get your tour dates, et cetera, at AfghanWigs.com. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks as always for listening to The Tully Show. I leave you with this the song Oriole off of that new Afghan Wigs album, In Spades. Enjoy. God bless.